a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep it bare arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm so glad you're with us on the program. We're going to be talking about uh, Joe Biden's trip to New York today, where he's uh, hanging out with Mayor Eric Adams, talking about the rise in violent crime around the United States and uh, his solution, which, of course, is going to involve gun control, right? Mm-hmm. Going to get to that in just a moment. But before we do, uh, with the political pressure on the left and the uh, woke mob that is the Democrat Party, our society is becoming controlled by the cancel culture elites. Since when have the founders of our Constitution or the American flag or Dr. Seuss or anything else you can think of become anti-American? There has never been a better time in our nation's history to stand up against the woke mob and fight back. And you can do just that with this exclusive offer that I'm giving to my listeners and viewers for a limited time only. Now is your chance to win a signed picture from President Donald Trump himself. That's right. Not only will you be taking a stand against the radical left, but you'll be entering to win a piece of history. And all you have to do is text the word Trump to 55404 today to enter. That's T-R-U-M-P to 55404. And you can join the millions of Americans in standing up for President Trump and canceling the radical left once and for all. Paid for by the National Republican Senatorial Committee. So Joe Biden, off to New York today. And uh, yeah, crime is what he wants to talk about. In fact, uh, Politico has this uh, piece today, what Eric Adams taught Joe Biden about the politics of crime. And so I do have to express my uh, regret to uh, New Yorkers out there who are, I think, rightfully worried about what's going on in their city, because this is political. I I would say this is political for both Eric Adams and for Joe Biden. This is not about public safety. This is about public relations more than anything else. Uh, You know, the Democrats are looking at what is likely to be a red wave election in November, and they are desperate to do anything that they can to try to turn that around. Uh, With Democrats being, I think, rightfully accused of being soft on crime, uh, one way for the Democrats to try to, uh, uh, you know, fix their issues is to try to be not soft on crime, or at least give the appearance of being tough on crime. And so we are going to hear a lot of talk today about the increase in uh, money for police, for example. Uh, As Politico says, uh, two years ago, if Democrats knew that their next president would be meeting with an ex-cop mayor of New York at NYPD's Manhattan headquarters to discuss, quote, historic levels of funding for cities and states to put more cops on the beat, it would have been a big surprise. Low levels of crime combined with outrage over white police officers abusing and killing unarmed black Americans sparked a fierce backlash against cops especially among progressives, I would say almost entirely among progressives, and birthed the, quote, defund the police movement, which was embraced by a surprisingly wide spectrum of Democrats. But as Politico says, you don't hear that slogan much anymore. So what happened to make it safe for Biden to reorient the Democratic Party's positioning on crime? Note, by the way, how they're framing all of this. It is now safe for Joe Biden to reorient the Democrats' messaging on crime. Look, it was safe for Biden to do so two years ago. But the Democrat Party was in thrall for the uh, the defund the police activists, those who wanted to reimagine policing, reimagine the criminal justice system, who looked at real problems and real issues, by the way, that do exist in the criminal justice system and decided, you know what the entire answer is? Throw it all out, burn it all to the ground, and then we'll just build something new on the ashes. Joe Biden and the Democrat Party embraced that position because that's what their base wanted, right? And they thought that they were going to have the power and the numbers to actually put that strategy in place. Now, what happened 
in November of 2020 is that Biden was installed in the White House with the barest of majorities in Congress, which was a clear sign that Americans had not bought into the defund the police narrative. They did not believe that the way to address violent crime, which, by the way, was already rising in 2020, uh, was to blow up the criminal justice system and replace it with social workers and nonprofit organizations and things of that nature. That's not what Americans were asking for. And that's why the Democrats didn't really have any coattails. Biden certainly didn't have any coattails in uh, November of 2020. So the dance is not that now uh, it's safe, quote unquote, uh, for Biden to try to reposition Democrats. No, it's that if they don't, try to reposition themselves on this issue, they're going to get obliterated uh, at the polls come November. Now, the problem for Biden is that the Democrat Party has not coalesced around this new strategy of uh, let's uh, refund the police and and let's try to tie it back into gun control and things of that nature. Mm -mm. The left is still very much divided on this issue, as uh, Politico notes. Uh, In fact, they say crime is a fraud issue for the White House, partly because it requires managing the interests of civil rights advocates, criminal justice reform hardliners, and gun safety groups, among many others who are often at odds. Despite a lack of legislative progress on these fronts, these activists know that Biden is their only option. And again, the politics of this come into play, right? So even though for instance, let's say the, uh, the, 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 the far left, the defund the police movement. They don't want any new laws on the books, right? They don't really want any enforcement of existing laws, e- even violent crimes. I mean, they, again, they say the system is so broken that it has to be torn down and something new built up in its place. Then you've got folks like, um, I would say the public defenders in New York City, the public defenders in Wayne County, Michigan, the public defenders in Cook County, Illinois, who have come out over the past few months and have said, look, charging people for simply possessing a gun without a license isn't doing anything to reduce violent crime. It, 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 look, it lets police and prosecutors pad their numbers, right? We got X number of guns off the street. We prosecuted successfully 97% of cases of people who are carrying a gun without a license, which may sound good to the average you know, listener, the average voter, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're engaged in the strategies that are actually effective in reducing violent crime. In fact, when you look at what's going on in in Wayne County, Michigan, for example, Detroit, in essence, um, the public defenders came out a few weeks ago and called on the Wayne County prosecutor to just stop prosecuting CCW-only cases. Cases where the only charges you're carrying without a license. Because what they found is that, A, 97% of the people who are being charged are black. And 70% of the people who are being charged with carrying a gun without a license legally own that firearm. And they were arrested for having that gun in their car. Now, many people might think, well, I'm not carrying my gun if I'm driving with it and it's in the center console. But under Michigan law, that is considered carrying. And it's a five-year prison sentence to carry a gun without a license. I believe it's a two-year mandatory minimum sentence for carrying a gun without a license. Now, in Wayne County, just like New York, 
it's been very difficult for people to get a concealed carry license. In fact, as a few months ago, there was a lawsuit going on against the Wayne County clerk for failing to process concealed carry applications in a timely manner. It was taking over a year for folks to even apply to receive their carry license. Now, Wayne County is still a shall-issue county, unlike New York, which is, you know, May issue. But it was still impossible for legal gun owners to lawfully carry a firearm because of the unwillingness or the inability of the government to fulfill its end of the obligation, right? In New York, it's it's a somewhat different measure. It is still the unwillingness... (laughs) of the powers that be, uh, but it's the unwillingness to recognize our right to bear arms itself that is the issue, because they can deny virtually anybody by claiming, no, you haven't given us a good enough reason to show that uh, we should give you permission to exercise your right to bear arms, right? So we still have some issues in both of these cities, though, and I think that it's indicative of what's going on around the country. If people cannot lawfully carry, not because they're prohibited, but because the government isn't doing its job, then yes, you will have people who will break the law, either knowingly or unknowingly. I'm guessing, again, in Wayne County, there are a lot of people who say, well, if I can't carry a gun on my person, at least I can have it in my car, not realizing that, no, that's actually a crime, too. And in New York, again, where the public defenders, in a brief uh, to the Supreme Court, pointed out the, the 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 cases where again legal gun owners are facing years in prison for simply possessing a firearm without a license or in some cases people who may not even have had a license to possess a firearm but had no uh, violent criminal intent still subjected to a violent felony offense and sentenced to years in prison for carrying a gun without a license that they could not receive because of the gun control laws on the books. That's an issue. And it's an issue for Joe Biden and Democrats because they want to double down on this, right? That That's their strategy going forward, is blame the gun. And you're going to hear a lot of that coming out of uh, Joe Biden's confab with Eric Adams and uh, the mayor, excuse me, the governor of New York. There's going to be a lot of talk about the iron pipeline of guns and going after ghost guns, going after the inanimate object. Instead of actually focusing on the relatively small number of offenders who are responsible for a disproportionate amount of violent crime. You do that, and you can actually reduce the homicide rate. In fact, I don't even think Joe Biden should be going to New York today at all. Because they don't have a grip on things in New York. They've got plenty of gun control laws on the books, right? And violent crime has been going up for the past couple of years. Meanwhile, you know where Biden should be going today? Dallas, Texas. Dallas. Dallas ended 2021 with a 13% decline in homicides. And in the last three months of last year, the murder decline was closer to 30%. Now, what's fascinating about that is that that's after constitutional carry was implemented in the state of Texas. That's right. Constitutional carry became the law and the murder rate dropped in Dallas. Now, I'm not saying that's because people could carry firearms without a government permission slip. What I'm saying is that the ability of legal gun owners to carry a firearm without a government permission slip did not lead to a spike in homicides. What led to a decline in homicides in Dallas was smart, effective policing. They looked at the crime hotspots, and they recognized pretty quickly, oh, it's not that crime is up in every section of the city, we've got crime spikes on this corner, 
we've got crime spikes centered around this house over here. Okay, so if we flood these zones, these little micro zones, again, that might even be half a block long. But if we can flood those zones with law enforcement officers, we can cut down on violent crime. And that's exactly what happened in Dallas, Texas. No new gun control laws needed. No attempt to blame legal gun owners. No attempt to try to criminalize the exercise of our right to keep and bear arms. Smart, effective policing that focused on where the violent crimes were actually taking place. And it worked. So why is Joe Biden hanging out in New York today? Well, pretty simple. Joe Biden's not going to hang out in a place that passed constitutional carry and saw its homicide rate decline. That's not the messaging that Joe Biden wants to get out there. That's not the politics that Joe Biden approves of. Biden's got to go to a place with a lot of gun control laws already on the books and say, look, it's not enough. We've got to have more laws, this time at the federal level. And you know, I don't think, I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I don't think that that's going to be a message that resonates with the American people right now. I think what the American people want to hear is, we're going to get tough on violent criminals. We're going to ensure that you can protect yourself. And uh, we're going to put the bad guys in prison. Right? That's what we want. Focus on the actual individuals who are committed to the problem. Leave the rest of us alone. But that's the exact opposite of what Joe Biden's going to try to do. Instead, Joe Biden's going to call for more laws. We've already seen this with the ATF rules that are coming down the pike on, quote-unquote, ghost guns, home-built firearms, stabilizing braces. The Biden administration is trying to criminalize the exercise of a constitutional right. They're trying to create more nonviolent criminals out of legal gun owners rather than actually focusing on the violent offenders that are creating so much chaos and misery and heartache in these cities. Because again, for Biden and for these Democrat politicians, and you know what, I, listen, for politicians, a lot of politicians, it's not about your personal safety. It's not about public safety. It's about politics and public relations. It's a sad but cynical truth. All right, let's get to today's Armed Citizen story, our uh, good deed of the day, our recidivist report as well. We'll start there, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Here's the headline. Felon on probation and woman nabbed after stolen gun from Fayetteville found in car, deputies say. Uh, and this is, by the way, not a case of an individual who, you know, was uh, convicted of felony jaywalking or something like that. No, uh, this is actually, by the way, Rayford, North Carolina, uh, not in uh, Hope County. Uh, but the uh, gun was reported stolen from uh, Fayetteville. This uh, happened uh, early Thursday. Detectives uh, pulled a car over uh, in uh, East Rayford, North Carolina. They walked out. They saw in plain view an open container of alcohol. Uh, detectives then conducted a search of the vehicle. They located a, a handgun under the front seat. Handgun had been reported stolen from Fayetteville. Also in the car, detectives found uh, ammunition of various calibers. They found some drug paraphernalia. Uh, 29-year-old Stephen McLaughlin, who was driving the car, is on active probation. He is a convicted felon, and he was arrested along with uh, 21-year-old Kentrees Parker. McLaughlin, charged with possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, possession of a stolen firearm, possession of drug paraphernalia, possession of an open container, and driving while a license was revoked. Uh, McLaughlin was convicted in January of 2017, so that was five years ago, right, of robbery with a dangerous weapon. He was sentenced to a minimum term of six years with a maximum term of 
eight years, and he was placed on probation in October of last year. So a minimum term of six years, and yet the actual term was, what, four and a half? Less than five. And Stephen McLaughlin, back out on the streets, caught in possession of a stolen firearm this week. So I'm guessing that uh, Mr. McLaughlin probably heading back to prison. But uh, I do question why he didn't at least serve the bare minimum that he was sentenced to five years ago. Today's Armed citizen story from South Carolina, where an upstate resident shot and killed a would-be burglar. Uh, this was in Cherokee County, South Carolina. About 2.20 Wednesday morning, deputies called to a home in Blacksburg. And when they arrived, they said that uh, they found that 29-year-old Roger Robertson had forced his way into the home, had assaulted one of the residents once he made entrance. A uh, relative of the uh, resident said, I got a call about 2.30 this morning from my mom. She was erratic. She was barely speaking. Um, but she told him that uh, his brother had been involved in a shooting. Uh, Lee Talent, uh, who's the, uh, the the relative there, says, once I got it out of her, I realized that there had been a shooting at my mom's residence. After talking to her a little bit, we figured out that my little brother had fired a shot. Somebody had broken into the house, busted through the front door, and started attacking my little brother with an object. The uh, Cherokee County Sheriff's Office says the uh, resident, fearing for their safety, fired a single round, striking Robertson in the chest. Uh, Lee Talent said, my little brother was able to, thank God, access his handgun and fire a, a point-blank shot. He said, it makes me feel like I wish I'd been there. Me and my brother are real close. We're like night and day, but we're real close. He said, I've always had his back. He's always had my back, and I hate that I wasn't there to help him. Uh, thankfully, Talon's brother was apparently able to uh, protect and help himself. Uh, the uh, suspect fled the scene in a waiting vehicle that uh, was driven to the Cherokee Medical Center. So he was a passenger in that vehicle. He was pronounced dead at 328 in the morning. The uh, resident also taken to that same hospital treated for injuries sustained during the burglary. Uh, Lee Talon said that he's been talking with his mom, says she's pretty upset, says she's tore up about it. He says, I know my little brother's tore up about it, too. The last thing he would ever want to do is to take somebody's life. Which is something, by the way, that I think is the case for every defensive gun use, something that is uh, not acknowledged uh, by gun control activists. In fact, quite the opposite. Who you know, they, they believe that everybody who carries a firearm in self-defense just wakes up in the morning and said, I hope today's the day my life's in danger. When uh, that's not the case for any gun owner I've ever talked to. I, I Listen, I, I have a fire. I have plenty of firearms for self-defense. I carry a gun for self-defense every day. And I can tell you, I hope I never have to use my firearm. I hope that when I die a long time from now, surrounded by family and friends in my bed at the you know ripe old age of 118 or something like that, I hope that I can look back and say, uh, you know what? I never had to pull my gun. Never had to pull the trigger in self-defense. I'd be I'd be fine with that. I wouldn't look back at re you know, with regret like, ah, oh, why didn't anybody ever try to kill me? Nope. Listen, I I've got a fire extinguisher in my kitchen. I hope I never have to use that too. I've got homeowner's insurance. I hope I never have to file a claim. There are lots of things that we have in our lives for protection right, to prevent something bad from happening to us, or at least to uh, allow us to respond if something bad does happen. But just because we have the foresight uh, or the uh, uh, we, we've planned uh, that, you know, this is a potential risk 
that uh, that we need to protect ourselves against, it doesn't mean that we're anticipating or hoping for or praying for or wishing for that bad thing to happen to us. Again, I, you know this, I know this. I wish the uh, gun control activists would at least acknowledge it, but uh, then again, they're not in the business of acknowledging reality. Finally today, our uh, good deed of the day. Uh, this from Lincoln, Nebraska, where a uh, Lincoln City officer in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to uh, do the right... Oh, excuse me, you know what? I take this back. Not Lincoln, Nebraska. Lincoln City, Oregon. Where a uh, police officer in the right place... Boy, that police officer had been in Lincoln, Nebraska. He would not have been in the right place at all. But thankfully, he was in Lincoln, Oregon. Lincoln City, Oregon. And that's where he needed to be to help save a man from a burning van. This was uh, about 4.30 last Friday morning. Police and fire dispatched to uh, reports of a vehicle on fire. When they got there, they found a uh, Toyota van, flames fully engulfing the engine compartment, the interior just filled with smoke. There was an elderly man in the driver's seat who uh, was disoriented, and Officer Andrew Johnson was able to pull him out of the vehicle, dragging him to safety before the flames spread to the interior of the vehicle. Uh, the occupant of the van uh, did not have any visible burn injuries. He was taken to local hospital for uh, further evaluation and treatment. The uh, van, obviously a uh, complete loss. Uh, it is believed that the uh, driver had fallen asleep in the van, which had been left running for warmth uh, due to cold weather. And for some reason, uh, the uh, 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 vehicle caught fire. Police say it's an unknown, but likely not a suspicious cause. But again, thankfully, Officer Andrew Johnson in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to uh, save the life of the uh, elderly man inside. Now, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. We will be back on Monday with another show here on uh, YouTube and Rumble and Spotify and SoundCloud or wherever you get the program. You can find it everywhere, audio and video. Uh, but in the meantime, be sure to check out BearingArms.com because we are going to be continuing to update the website throughout the weekend with all of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. And of course, if you like what you see, you can always become a VIP subscriber. Just go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and you'll get a significant savings on your VIP membership, which will also allow you exclusive access to commentary, news stories, analysis that you won't find anywhere else. It is our way of saying thank you uh, for showing your support for the independent segment of journalism that we do here at Bearing Arms. And it really does make a difference, it, it, and we really do appreciate it. So anyway, we'll be talking again very soon. Until we do, be well, be safe, and be free. 